What's up? What's up? What is up? It's another Friday, another opportunity to get together and record the Ballhawk Sports Talk. I am live. I am live from the most amazing place on the planet. That is my opinion, and a few other people would agree with me. I am coming to you from the University of Notre Dame. That's right. I had to be here for an event. I'll get into that um, a little bit more after we do our, our, our normal intros. But being here on Notre Dame's campus during a week that a lot of Notre Dame stories have circulated seems to be just gratuitous. I'm glad I'm here. I'm always happy to be home on Notre Dame's campus. It's an in and out situation, but how dare we not record the Ballhouse Sports Talk when we are on Notre Dame's campus? We're going to talk a few things. Today's episode is going by the title of Reclass, right? Um, being a part of the AAU space and seeing what Reclass, the the, the the word, has now been turned into a verb, has now been turned into an argument. We're going to talk about a few things today, so make sure you stay with us. It's going to be provocative. You know what we do. We do it rough, rugged, and raw. The Ball Hall Sports Office, where sports, business, and entertainment collide, and they'll definitely collide today because there's a bunch of businessmen sitting here talking sports in an entertaining way. And if you have never been a part of the experience as the Ball Hall Sports Office, make sure you fasten your seatbelt. Make sure you pour an extra, extra tall cup of coffee because we going to bring it to you rough, rugged, and raw. With no further ado, boys and girls, Men and women, dogs and frogs, and whoever else you can bring to the screen. Get ready for the Ball Hawk Sports Talk. Let's go. Wake up, wake up, wake up, and stay woke. Because this is the Ball Hawk Sports Talk with your boy, B. Brown, ESQ, a.k.a. the Ball Hawk, a.k.a. the Mouth of the South. This is the place where sports, business, and entertainment collide. And we're going to give it to you rough, rugged, and raw. So come get you a spoonful, like some grits with butter and salt. You know how we do it in the South, y'all. Make sure you do not get caught in your feelings. Strap on your seatbelt and enjoy the ride. Come on, let's go, go, go. Once again, it's on like we never, ever left. We're back on the microphone, and it is the three of us, the entire crew. You know what it is. It's where sports, business, and entertainment collide. We call it the Ball Sports Talk. I won't be as loud as I normally am because I am in another person's office here at Notre Dame, beautiful Notre Dame campus here in the new, uh, development office. Uh, I can't give you any more information because you might be able to then find me, and I don't like people being able to find me. But we got the whole crew, man, three businessmen getting together to talk sports. In an entertaining fashion, it's where sports, business, and entertainment collide. It's the Ball Hawk Sports Talk we have from the Middle Coast. Um, technically, I'm sort of in the Middle Coast, although time zone-wise, I'm not. We have from the Middle Coast, the man, the myth, the legend, thou who shall be known internationally, intergalactically, and any other inter-whatever, um, the man known as the Big Flow Show. What's up? What's good, America? What's good? Talking to us from Notre Dame. I appreciate you coming out there, sharing the love, even though you're traveling today. So let's let's do this. Let's do this thing. Happy to see E back today. Yes, that was the perfect setup for me to then do the intro. You know who he is. He's also the man, the myth, the legend. He happens not to be from the mid coast, but from the east coast. He is Mister Beantown. Anything Boston, everything Boston goes through him. 
we happen to have the luxury of having him. He is E-T-P, Ellis the producer. What's up, my brother? Good morning. Good to be back. And definitely not, fun fact, I'm from Boston, but I've never actually had New England clam chowder. So I i don't know that I'm actually a New England Whoa. citizen at this Whoa. point. Oh, that's like, that's almost like, you know, I, I think the Beantown folk might have to bring you before the committee. Yeah, I, I mean, my I'm on pro I'm on probation at this point. I had to ask why why not? I, I mean, it's fantastic. It's, just, you know, it's fantastic. It's white. It's creamy. It's just you like oh, a no mayo. Are you a no mayo guy too? Mayo, I try not to deal with okay. too much. That's fair. fair. It's fantastic though. You you more for me. That's the way I look at it. <laughs> <laughs> I love the truth. Hold up, hold up. Full stop. Why not? That's like so good. <laughs> it's like so good. <laughs> Shout out. Who would Shout voluntarily out. not eat class? Yeah. It's um, right there. Just go get uh, some Alfredo sauce. I can't do any of that. Stuff. Of I, know, I know people like that. All of it. Off limits for you. I ain't mad at it, man. Uh, let's hop into a few things, fellas, because you see the title. And I know that we are tight on time today. Uh, as always, we, we come up with the the very um, ideal times that we want to start. And sorry, we didn't make it. We're a little late. But you better be late and, and to the point and deliver a home run. And that's what we do. So we're, that's what we're about to do. But this particular episode is called Read Class, right? And how dare I not explain to people why it's called that. Um, this past weekend, very well could have unfortunately lost what we thought were family friends over what was an AAU basketball game. Essentially, two teams playing. Um, a few kids from our, our team is playing with a different team. It's sort of a rival. And that team um, uh, has parents that used to be on our program. And they were yelling out, look, it's too old. A team full of reclass. And uh, I was offended. Not, not because it, we don't hear it a lot. Because you do hear that a lot in basketball, especially my son's a, a taller kid. We've got other kids that are taller. You hear it a lot, right? As soon as you see smile, he must be. It's supposed to be a sixth grade tournament. Ironically, we were playing up in seventh grade division, but you hear people yelling stuff out. That wasn't the thing that surprised me. It was that they were what we considered family friends. And so when I went to talk to him afterwards, we had this whole conversation, and and it and it brought me to the point where I wanted to make sure I I addressed it. Because when it comes to the idea of reclass, uh, first of all, as, as a parent, grandparent, guardian, it is your right, your absolute right to make the decision, the right decision for your kid. For me, my sons both were born in the last week of August. They're summer babies. And I did a whole exploratory research on summer babies, especially boys. And, and the, the idea of what we now call reclass um, was something that was utilized in uh, zip codes where people had a lot of means. And they, they understood that from a maturity standpoint, their child is born in uh, the late months, school months, not even in the school months, after school, summer, birthday, uh, what they call it, that um, scientifically it was shown, especially with boys, that they would be behind. So neither here nor there. What the sports world has done is they've taken this word, this word and, 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 and gone in a whole different direction. And it allows us to have so many conversations this week about sports, business, and entertainment, because we're going to talk about this idea of reclass. 
uh, and reclassification in so many different ways. But the first time the word was presented to me, my son was maybe six years old. First time we took him to like a tryout and the guy who's doing the registration sees the birthday and said, you're going to reclass, right? I don't know reclass. What, like, what are you talking about? Right. And um, it began this new word, this new world. And while, you know, I say this, all my friends, like anybody knows me, the loyalty, like I'm, I'm loyal to a fault sometimes when it comes to my friendship, but I, I wear the friendship thing. I take it personal. All my friends are still friends in, in, in my life, just how I'm set up. Um, some of my associates are still associates. So maybe I just discovered that somebody was an associate rather than a friend, who knows, but it started on this whole concept of reclass. It's got us now to this point where we had to have the conversation. So tune in parents, your decision is your decision. You have a right to make it. I don't use the word reclass in my house because my sons were born in the last week of August um, during the pandemic. We looked at some, some of y'all might've seen the, the commercial of my wife doing the um, uh, Huntington Learning Center, but we did assessments. We figured out where the gaps were. The distant learning thing was not going well in my humble opinion. So we, we sought out some academic reasons. The people that I spoke to about the academic reasons happens to be the same people who were yelling this out. He too old, he reclassed. So it stung, it hurt because they knew that this was something that I didn't come to lightly. They knew it was something that I researched. They knew that it was something that was academic based. They knew that I ended up going to my pocket to pay for my son to go to private school to make up for those gaps. And yet because of the environment of sport, because so many people think that this is the end all be all. So many people think that these youth sports, I, I don't want to say they're living through their kids, but whatever it is, I, I don't want to say that who knows, but it's an environment that leads to that and unfortunately put us in that situation. But fortunately, it, it, it provided the platform for this show. We don't use the word reclass. I tell my son, I'll put you in your right class because the state decided that September 1st was the date. I don't, I don't necessarily make decisions based on the state. I'm gonna make decisions based on what's right for my kids. So I don't even use the word reclass. I say, hey, I put you in the right class. The reason I don't use the word reclass is because the sports culture has now monopolized the word, created a stigma to it, and now the kids, I think, are putting academics on the back burner. Once they see this concept of reclass, it's all about sport, and it's a path towards destruction, one we're going to talk about in other ways, but one that I wanted to set up perfectly so you knew why this is the topic. Um, with that, man, I don't know if you guys wanted to weigh in one way or another. I know your, your son's an August birthday, Big Flow. Um, since I did set it up, uh, you know, I want, I want feel free or not to talk about you. I know you yeah. like to call it a, a red shirt, a red shirt. Red shirt. <laughs> so, I, so that's how long ago we did it. The reclass wasn't even uh, a common term there and it's red shirt. So with our situation, it had nothing to do with sports. My son was four years old. We made the decision. And honestly, um, you know, I feel comfortable saying this now because my son's at a prestigious university and got all A's this, uh, this period, I can say he wasn't ready. <laughs> so we came out at four years old. We, he was at a Catholic school and they do like a little test and they're like, ah, I'll, you know, if I, if, you know, if you, if you're not doing anything this time next fall, I will hold him back. Like, let's, let's, uh, let's see what, let's see what happens next year. So, you know, um, I actually, at the time I was like, you know, this makes a lot of sense because we knew a lot of kids 
my wife had a lot of friends whose, whose sons were a year older than my son. So when he was in the best net, they were walking around the best net and all of a sudden he caught them in school. Cause you know, when you're having ch children, you don't really think about what class, what grade they're going to be in, what year they're going to be. You're just ready to have a baby and, and, and that five years away. So long story short, we held him back. And as he started to develop uh, athletically, you know, people would always say that, Hey, you know, your son, yeah, but he's older, he's older. And I'm like, okay, my son is 28 days away from the cutoff. So let's mark his development today and see where your son is 28 days from now. And if your son isn't past where he is today, then, I don't no, really want to hear it. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, stop using it. And and then what I realized, like I told you before, or like you were saying before about the zip codes, there was like in a small Catholic school that had two kindergarten classes. He was like the seventh or eighth uh, oldest. So everybody was doing it. People Even doing after you decided, yeah, yeah. After my I son is the, the fifth oldest in his class. I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. And I had this whole like, no, I don't know. I don't know if it's fair. But go ahead. I'm sorry. And then and so there's so many people I know now who who have done it reclass. And I had a friend of mine who reclassed his son um, because he had two older sons that, that sprouted in college. And he was like, I could have, you know, I could have given him some time. So he let this one stay home and cook for a while. And I said, you know what? I'm going to let you know how long people have been doing it. You know, I just turned 50 and, this, and, and my buddy's 49. I said, go on Facebook and see how many of your friends from your high school that you didn't know about are going to say that they're celebrating their 50th birthday. So every couple of weeks, he sends me a text message saying, Oh my God, another one, another one, another one, right. because people right. have been doing it forever. They just don't brag. Another about one. It. Another <laughs> one. Yeah. Another one. So, Hey, at the end of the day, we have jobs as parents and nice to raise good kids, well-adjusted kids and to help them succeed. I mean, if, if you're not, if you're not pushing that as far as you can to try to help your kids succeed and you could have, you know, anyone who out there who's criticizing the reclass are not people that were going to help you pay for college or going to help your kids study for an exam or help you do anything. Absolutely. Most of my friends that have reclassed, if not all of them, I'm trying to think of one that hasn't, their kids got a full ride scholarship to college. So I'm glad it bothers people because I don't give a shit, you know, at the end yeah. of the day. Normally I'm that way too, but this particular one bothered me just because. It would bother me in your situation too because. Yeah, like these people I spoke destiny. to about it and I, they know it was heavy on my heart. We waited, uh, we waited against not doing it. And look, after preschool, same thing. You know, we had a, a discussion and, and the person was like, hey, do you want to move forward or not? Like, no, I think he's ready, you know. And so we move forward. But the fact that you have the option and you said that, you know, you had the option of four years old says that it, 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 it's a bit overblown. The irony of it from a sports standpoint is the only sport thought that came to mind for me had nothing to do with basketball. It had everything to do with football. Because in football, when you are being recruited, a lot of times you go to school in January. And so I'm looking at the, the, the schedule. I'm like, well, if he decides to play football and is recruited to go to school in January, you would have just turned 17. I don't want my son on nobody's campus having just turned 17. Right. And then I started thinking, well, they graduate in June. My son's going to be 18 when he graduates. That's the normal time. Again, I'm having a discussion not to even give it merit, but to let parents know that at the end of the day, the right decision is what decision you make for your kids. The idea of reclass, we think of it in terms of each one of these 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 student athletes. I call it. I put my son in the right class based on his summer birthday. But there's a different reclass. 
And this is the one that, for this particular instance, this particular event comes to mind because if you're going to play in major AAU tournaments, you're going to play against reclass kids. But what does reclass have to do with AAU? Because isn't AAU age-specific anyway? It it is and it isn't, meaning that sometimes they, you know, they'll say class of 29, right, is for example, we're class of 29. That's different than class of 28. So, yes, it's age-based. Most teams are age-based and people understand it. But I think what happens is if you're in the – you're out of your class, dare I say, if you're going to try to play against those teams and, and then complain the whole time, hey, we're playing against older kids. Yeah, you are. It's a part of AAU basketball. And if you're not ready for that, stay local, play rec basketball. But don't think you're going to go in there and fight with Giants and they're going to do it your way to make it nice and acceptable and palatable for you. That's just not the way it's done. And But to clarify that, though, E, in an AAU tournament, it is completely age-based. And it, that that's what, unless you'll switch back, that switch happens probably when my son was, like, in fifth grade. Right. He started getting with grades. But we use the term AAU a lot to just mean a tournament because – I'd say 99% of the tournaments that Bobby's son plays in is not a true AAU tournament. It's right. just somebody that throws a tournament. And in that, they use great. Yeah, and they, and they invite teams that happen to be AAU teams. They have AAU teams. But AAU right. has slowly lost its luster. It has become right. – But know, they still have nationals. Nationals that we did last year, that was the official AAU nationals. Correct. So, and you're going to see a lot of teams that you saw all year that are missing one of their guys, one of their dudes right there. Cause but even, could, even that, though, they have the age exception. So everybody – Did they bring that back? Because they, they, they got rid of they it. They have age exceptions. Yeah, they okay, age they got rid of it. At one point, they had a great – which I always – I will say I used to laugh when I first heard it. They're like, so you're telling me – because this is before reclassification was, was a real thing, right? And mm-hmm. I was like <laughs> – they're like, okay, my son is is uh is 10, but he reads at an eighth-grade – at an eight-year-old level, so we're going to play him in third grade. That used to kill me. I'm like, are we rewarding kids? Rewarding because them, they right. can't read. Right. You know what I mean? But right, at the right. end of the day, in most AAU tournaments, it's the well, – we were almost age – but most people abandoned the AAU scene, and they just made these national tournaments because all the best teams weren't they're there anymore. They're going to migrate to the – but but here's here's what here's my message that that has everything and nothing to do with this situation because it's broader than just the situation. At the end of the day, as someone who when I when I was ready for college and this was a commitment I made to my mother, I said you're gonna you're gonna keep your money in your pocket when it comes to me going to college. I was in a position to go to college and either play football, run track, or play basketball. And I was fortunate enough to do that because my mom made sure that it was about the schoolwork. But it's a journey. And my message is none of this matters. None of it. Do you ever really – your son's now at Northwestern. Mm -hmm. Any of his games, AAU, weighed in on that decision for Northwestern to offer him? No. None of it matters. And so people, parents, enthusiasts, coaches, um, and and I say coaches and talk to myself, just remember none of this matters. Right. None of it matters. But there is there is another side of it, right? Like not to I mean, not to refute what you're saying, but it's but there is a slippery slope of whether it's teams or coaches or parents that are more focused on the success of the of the moment. Than the development, than the 
trajectory of the child. So they're like stacking teams just so that they can win a trophy and all of these different things. And like that sentiment is real. Doesn't change, doesn't change anything, but I think something around that, you know, I think that's the, that's the piece that can get lost in the whole commercialization of all of this is, you know, there's the, the prioritization of development sometimes gets reduced because you have people that are running organizations or monetizing in certain ways that are less in like less committed to, I'm going to set my child on an effective path to be a successful adult down the line versus, Oh, let's just win this national tournament with a 14 year old on a 10 year old team or whatever. Right. And, and there is that, but I think that makes my point even more important to say that director of that program, the one that you described, that hypothetical program with the 14-year-old on the 10-year-old team that's only focused on winning the national championship so they can be ranked, so they can be invited to these other tournaments, does not care ultimately about your child's success. So as the people who do absolutely care about your child's ultimate success, just remember this is a, a small piece of a really big puzzle. And so um, I just hate that the conversation happened because these were people that I considered, you know, like I called them when I was thinking about doing it. The school that their school, their son goes to is one of the schools that we considered. So it was just, um, it was it was a moment that is, is, I hate that it happened, but I think it's a moment that's telling about where youth sports is right now. And the whole time I'm like, I defended it. So, somebody was like, hey man, such and such. And I was like, nah, they wouldn't say that, they're family. And I ended up looking like a fool because once like friends like, yeah, we said it. And then this whole logic was like, yeah, but this is a uh, mind you were playing up in a seventh grade tournament. Like this is a sixth grade team. All our kids are um, 11. And I was like, you know, to this person, I was like, wait a minute, your son's 12. What are you talking about? My son's only four months older than your son. Mm-hmm. And because so many people are doing it, the reclass is so custom and ordinary now that summer birthdays are even more subjected to being behind, not from an athletic standpoint, but if your child is 18 months younger than the the leader in that particular class, chances are they're going to be a follower. Chances are the development is going to be a bit behind everybody else. And so um, I say all that to say, make the right decision for you. For me, I tell anyone that asks, but do ask i don't say reclass i say right class most importantly i did what was right for my sons um one was born august 27th that's what four days before their cutoff one's 23rd so that's eight days before their cutoff um state doesn't get to tell me what's best for my kids nor does someone who's upset in the stands get to tell me what's right for my kids no. do what's right for your kids and f whoever doesn't like it and that's a word um but it does remind me to that environment. It reminds me to, to to look at it from the parent standpoint, because everyone's kind of thinking of it like, oh man, ultimately they're going to get that scholarship. Ultimately they're going to get that scholarship. Here I am on Notre Dame's campus and I understand that like that's, that's the end result. That's the goal that people are aspiring to. And so that's why the energy and the, the tension builds up in these youth um, sports. Being on campus um, to, today, I'm here for. Let me 
just say this. I'm here for the Black Law Student Association 50-year reunion. 50 years. I got to meet people who were in the first class ever. Black law students, alum now, but they were the first class ever of black law students um, here at Notre Dame. 50 years removed. Um, the dean of the Notre Dame Law School is a black man. And I want to celebrate that in the sense that I'm here for Black Law Student Association. Dean is black. But I want to celebrate it because with Notre Dame's recent hire, Notre Dame just hired a black basketball coach. So with that hire, Notre Dame now has a black head coach in football, Marcus Freeman. Now in basketball, men's basketball, uh, Michael Shrewsbury. We know the Sweet 16 bound. They play tomorrow. They play Maryland. Notre Dame's women basketball team is coached by Neil Ivey. And the Notre Dame women volleyball team is coached by Salima Rockwell. Here, in your mind, image, when you hear Notre Dame, maybe you think Golden Dome, maybe maybe you think Touchdown Jesus, but if, if culturally, when you hear Notre Dame, you think Lily, white, Irish, Catholic. So here celebrating 50 years of Black Law Student Association students and alum on Notre Dame campus. Here during the week where with that hire of Michael Shrewsbury, the four sports that are all full scholarship sports important to the landscape of the campus, all of them are led by black head coaches. So. Shout out to Notre Dame. I'm proud of Notre Dame. You know what I'm saying? Feeling real, real, real black up in this thing. Newbie in Notre Dame. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, it feels good, man, because everybody, you know, growing up, I thought of Notre Dame was just the whitest thing possible. But then when I decided to go to Notre Dame, I realized that other people thought that too. Like, where you go? Where you decide to go to school in Notre Dame? You going up there, man? That thing, oof. <laughs> it's just so. It feels good that Notre Dame um, made the hire, and hopefully he does well. Um, while I will celebrate Notre Dame, I say that to then say this, because in the same week, uh, I think yesterday, two days ago, there's an op-ed that came out in the New York Times where the president of the university, um, Father Jenkins, and our athletic director, Jack Swarbrick, uh, who I just celebrated for making the hires, but this op-ed piece comes out. And the op-ed piece is basically saying that with the new landscape for college sports, with all of these state, individualized state laws that that the balance between student athlete the balance between what should take priority what's most important on campus has shifted and at least according to this op-ed piece in a negative way um i know we all saw pieces of it what did you guys think about it this is notre dame where you know it's the center of, of you know, college sports, very influential in terms of its impact on college sports. And here it is, this athletic director, this president of the university saying, we got to redo this. In ways, I loved it because Notre Dame and the academics here is important. But in other ways, it, it kind of made me take pause and feel like it was an antiquated approach to a new age problem. Um, I'll start with you on this one, ETP. You, you know the highlights of the op-ed piece. What do you think? Did these two men get it right in their op-ed? I think, you know, 
I think the content of the op-ed in regards to prioritizing the student element of the student athlete, if they are going to get an education, like there's, there's obviously merit in the concept and that's the premise of what this all started. I reading it, it felt like I was, you know, it's like the old man yelling at the clouds. It's like, this is a this is a conversation that's been had for many years. We're way past like talking about these issues. The every Division One college is is generating and deriving revenue and profit from these major sports. And ultimately, now you know now the athletes are able to monetize in a way that you know isn't the responsibility of the university. So, yeah, it's it. You should always, I mean, if you're going to go to college, the idea would say that you're going to study and you're going to be a student and the commercialization of the sport should not contaminate or distract from the objective of education because the majority and the NCAA runs ads every March Madness about whatever the number is, 98% of student athletes will go pro and something else and all the, you know, all the things that they say, but ultimately it's, capitalism is is infused in in college sports so at this stage i don't know i I literally read it and thought it was a 30 year old piece of you know piece of media because we're pat we're way past it like the idea is you know the the idea of removing one and done that's been talked about for many years probably will happen with the collective bargaining agreement getting uh renegotiated this summer um, the idea of the NFL having a minor league was a big topic so that it doesn't become commercialized in college sports. But as we've seen, I mean, the XFL right now, they're in their fifth or sixth week dismal ratings. So the NFL is not going to invest in a minor league when they know that there's an entire network of universities that have the infrastructure that are very incentivized to maintain the you know the support for that based on the profitability from their standpoint so interesting points but i don't think they're in the the real world of today big flow show you hear that and you think what i know you know your son made that decision to go to northwestern and northwestern in terms of the value proposition of academics and athletics is very similar to a notre dame you know you got that the, the northwesterns and the the Stanfords and the Vanderbilts of the world. Um, but the op-ed piece, I think, dealt with something that um, forces those schools to have a real look in the mirror and say whether or not they can compete and thrive in a space that does encourage NIL collectives, that does encourage the transfer portal. If it's not working out and not starting your first year and you are a five-star recruit, all of those things are encouraged. So. What, what do you think? Uh, love Notre Dame celebrated them hiring um, yet another black coach of a, of a major sport here on campus, Shrewsbury. Um, and then reading this article, I know we're going to have to answer to it. So what say you? You know, I I kind of look at this and, and, and again, I, I want to shout out Notre Dame for, 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 for the hires. I think that maybe eventually they'll, they'll wipe away this disdain of uh, – Tyron Willingham that has created so many people. You know what I mean? I think maybe at some point the uh, black Twitter will uh, forgive Notre Dame for firing Tyron Willingham and say, all right, y'all not the same. But then the other way I look at it, 
and again, it's not a racial thing when it comes to this. It's it. It seems just so hypocritical. So my first year in college was the first year of the NBC contract at, uh, at, at Notre Dame. That was 1991, right? I think they were making like five, six, seven million dollars a year. Now they're trying to go to NBC. Uh, last I heard, they were trying to get seventy-five million dollars a year. So they they keep developing, they keep moving forward, they keep doing all these different things. Notre Dame has the rule where you can only, you know, every dollar of sport money, uh, you have every any any dollar you invest in sports, you got to put in the same dollar into education. So they've leveraged people who want to donate to sport and force them to to put in schools, and they've kind of done whatever they could for their benefit. And they're making way more money and they have an opportunity right now where they could join the big 10 and get a hundred million dollar contract if they wanted to, but they don't choose not to. Everything they do is money, money, money driven, money, money, money driven. But then all of a sudden, all that stuff has come so far from Notre Dame in this small little college that, you know, streets that are gone now and it's paved with all kinds of new buildings that people are donating, but they don't want to develop for the, for the people that are, that are, that are driving that all of a sudden those people, they they're getting left out the dance. And that and that is the part of it that's to me, it's like, come on, what are we doing here? You develop in every other way, but you don't want the people who who are mainly responsible, the athlete on the field, to 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 benefit. There's just too much money going around for you not to for you not to give these kids more than they're doing it. Yeah. Um, we talked about this before. With the new NIL, there's a lot of guys in basketball, a lot of people who are not going pro, they're staying for NIL and they're getting a degree. So I would argue these same people would have come out early, maybe ill-advised come out early. People are making this decision. These fringe guys, they're not making it. They're not graduating and they're not going on with their life the right this, way that, that their charter is, is should have been. This for year, this year, I'm just going to provide some, some data to support that because this year, right. We're in the midst of the part of the year where we just got off the combine. Notre Dame, I think is doing their pro day today. Auburn's was a few days ago. Alabama's doing a product. Everybody's getting ready for the NFL. Only 82 players declared early for the NFL draft this year, which is an 18% drop from last year. And I would argue that the opportunity to make money on campus is is a reason. It's the reason. People say. It is the reason. <laughs> it's but the reason. It's the only difference. That's the only difference. Like it's not but, like now there's this commitment to education. Like it's the the financial risk is different now. But even if you get the degree while you're there, motivated by the money, I think that ultimately, when I think of young people and the opportunities going forward beyond college campus, even if you air quote accidentally got a degree, the degree holds value, and that's what this op-ed was talking about the value of the degree. I would argue that there are reasons that NIL makes that more likely. The idea of an NFL uh, minor league, I think is just, you know, and I said this when NIL came to to fruition and, you know, the laws were starting to be passed individually, I said, we're, we're kicking the can down the road because we've created a third party payer. Whoever the brand or company is, is willing to pay is, is doing the job of the institution doing the job with the NCAA. And so now we're at this crossroads where schools like Notre Dame, Northwestern, Stanford, you know, they're trying to protect the integrity of the academic side and are torn between just how competitive you can be without 
having a real NIL collective without letting boosters come and infuse money and call it NIL. They're, they're at this crossroads. So which direction are we going to go? I would argue that we're much closer to going to a point where the institutions that are part of NCAA are going to be writing a check first going back in a different direction where Notre Dame and that op-ed seems to be suggesting that, that, that we should go in reverse and love Notre Dame. I just don't think that that is, is possible at this point. Love Notre Dame. But I agree with you, Big Flow Show, that as the revenue streams have opened up and Notre Dame has taken full advantage of it, whether it be a TV contract, whether it be, um, you know, I'm in development right now whether it be the checks being written by alum, there is a direct correlation between the success on the field and when the money starts coming in. And so um, very interesting stuff, man. And, and you know, we'll, we'll see whether or not, you know, uh, the collective bargaining agreement that the NBA has to negotiate will determine if one and done is out of there. Um, but I would argue, too, that the one and done is is – going to be impacted by NIL and we're seeing it right like if, if you look at this you know the reclassification right that we're discussing here is Notre Dame is basically saying that, that, that these college programs have been reclassified to essentially be minor leagues and I'm not certain that's a bad thing the one and done situation, if you look at some of the big men, right, because there's also been a reclassification of what it means to be a big man in, in the basketball world. A big man used to be a tall guy who could back everybody down, nothing that you could do about it, play with your back to the basket, right? So when I think over the last two seasons, the, the guys that come to mind right away, Drew Timmy, Gonzaga, uh, Zach Eady from Purdue, um, you got Armando Baycott from North Carolina, and then you got uh, Oscar Chibway, uh, who was the player of the year. All four of those people came back this year. Baycott's talking about coming back for another year. Edie's probably coming back for another year. Um, Timmy and Chibway don't have any eligibility left, but and then you look at the numbers where NIL, Drew Timmy is making nine hundred over $900,000. Zach Eady is making over $400,000. Uh, Shibwe, $300,000. Uh, and Amando Baycott, $230,000. You've got two colliding forces. The NBA is changing where these back-to-the-basket type big men in the front court are becoming extinct. They're considered betweeners. And you have NIL that's making these players stay. I hope all four of them get an amazing degree and an amazing experience because of their decision to stay. But it's just a, it's an interesting time, man. It's an interesting time if you think of NIL and the role that it plays. Is it a good or bad thing? The reclassification of the of the position being in the front court, along with the reclassification of the platform that is college basketball and the NIL money that allows you. To, I, that's a that's a well-paying job. None of them are making less than $200,000 a year to be on a college campus, to be the big man on campus, pun intended, to potentially get a degree, to build relationships, 
And oh, by the way, while they are there and they are dominant on the floor, be a catalyst for each one of those institutions to get more and more money, whether it be through TV deals, whether it be through conference championships, whether it be through March Madness success, whether it be all of those things directly correlate to people writing checks, directly correlate to putting butts in the seat, directly correlate to more people coming to town to watch games to support the local economy. And it, it's high time that we stop acting a little self-righteous when it comes to the player's role in this capitalistic structure. I'll leave you guys with it and then we'll move on. I think I think one thing that really makes me just laugh is basically what he's saying is like, all right, look, for all of these guys that don't think that it's, this is uh it's good enough just to get a degree from Notre Dame or or whatever universities that he says are starting to be starting to be like Notre Dame, which I thought was kind of funny. And he made it seem like, oh, we're here. And there's other people who are trying to do some stuff. But anyway, um, he's like, okay, for those people who don't who aren't satisfied with just that, that you guys go do your own thing, strip them out, we'll put them in this professional league, or whatever. He acts like people watch Notre Dame football because of the academics. Like they don't they'll, let's get off of your high of your high horse and, and realize people are watching Notre Dame football because of these players that are worthy of paying because of the one and dones because right. of everybody we want to watch who happen to, to, but to, to, to defend it a little bit push back a little bit who happened to be more times than not just not at just notre dame or northwestern or stanford or other schools mm -hmm. who also happen to be people that are committed to academics as well for the most part so they are i will they are, that i but, understand that but they, notre dame okay let's 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 i'm not gonna jump all over my alma mater here but we're getting more and more players at Notre Dame that are players that aren't finishing, that are transferring, that are walking away from football. There's a list of, you nice. know, eight people that came out this week. Some of them were medical reasons, but are walking away from football. Differently. So you we're to, to, to compete now, this isn't back in the eighties. Now to compete, we got to have a couple of these guys that are on the fringe. And if you give people this alternative in football, and basketball, I mean, college basketball got a little bit more, got a little bit boring for a while there because everybody, all the good talent was going right out of high school. Now you got some more of these goons that we get for at least a year. We strip them back out. If we don't do this, you know, it's, a, it's getting really exciting again this year, a lot better now because people are staying longer. We're getting a better product because you're getting better players in college a lot longer than people just all the stars coming in there for a year and getting out. You take football, you start giving, if you start developing in a league outside of college where the the studs that are going and staying for three years and and and, and fighting to try to stay eligible and you take those studs out and you put that in a developed league, it, it, it will rival and then eventually right. erode college football. So right. all this holding out for $75 million from the NBC contracts, you're only doing that because those because what you're saying it didn't happen. If what you says come to pass, say goodbye to your $75 million contract. People are going to be watching this new minor league of football because that's where all the future NFL people are going to uh, be coming out of. So I just kind of take – I get a chuckle out of – this idealist, it's never going to happen. He says he wants to happen. He knows it's never going to happen. So there's no risk in him saying it publicly. You say it's just virtue signaling. Yeah, hey, you just saying, man, you know. because I'm the, I'm the proud product of, you know, a mother who was a public school teacher who taught me these very pointed words. Use the game. Don't let it use you. And what she meant by that is God has blessed you with the ability to go out there and, and play sports. Make sure you use the game such that it provides additional opportunities for you. In my day when the NCAA amateurism was a real thing still, that meant go get a free education. Um, use the game, don't let it use you. If you look at 
revenue that since that time, way back then, the revenue that is built throughout college sports, I think use the game, don't let it use you also includes take full advantage of the capitalistic opportunities provided to you because of your athletic prowess. Oh, and make sure you still graduate. So um, talking about those three men, right? The four men, four big men, because this idea of the reclassification of the, the, the position, the big man, right? Now you've got to be able to stretch the floor and shoot. So, yes, I think NIL was one of the reasons why those four men stayed in college. The truth of the matter is, is I don't know if they have a position in basketball anymore. There's also a reclassification of the game. And I saw that last night, too. Gonzaga is down one point. They get the ball with 12 seconds. Uh, their guard, their top guard, his name is escaping me for some reason. But their top guard, man with the curly hair, um, gets the ball, lets it bounce twice. He finally gets it uh, in his hands, takes one dribble, one dribble past half court, and shoots from the logo a three-pointer. Yes, and madness. <laughs> with... With, with seven seconds left to go in the game and makes it. We'll talk about the play itself, but let's talk about the reclassification of basketball. I would argue that is the, the I like to call it the Steph Curry effect. In my day, if you take that shot before the ball hits the rim, or maybe it doesn't hit the rim, before you know the outcome of that shot, there's somebody at the scores table, you're going to get subbed out. Mm-hmm. After the game, he says that it is a called play. They do it in practice all the time. Steph Curry and that whole generation of players has extended the floor so much that that is a called play. They run it all the time from the logo. I'm looking at the shot like, no, what are you doing? And turns out he was doing exactly what he was coaching to. He executed. Uh, I don't know if you guys, you know, what do you guys think about it? But it just seems like the game is fast right now. The game has changed so much. The skills are so much higher. And the, the, the distance of shots so much further. Um, that used to be a bad shot. Now it's considered a great shot. Crazy how widely separated those two concepts are. But yet that's where we are in college basketball. I don't like the shot uh, based off the time that was left. They got let off the hook because, you know, um, they came down the court and the guy got ripped or he lost the ball going up, which I don't know what he was doing. He should have passed the ball. But anyway, I, I just feel like it left too much time for anything to happen on the other side. Cause they, they, they ended up winning by one, right? It was a, they put them up by one. No, two. they put them up two. Did they put them up two? Okay. Put them up two. So anyway, they were down one. They were down one. Yeah. They, they shot up three. two. Right. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. So, you know, you had so much time for a, a higher percentage shot with less time on the clock. You know, I would have tried to. Do, I mean, I probably would have lost the game, coaching. But I probably would have. I would, I would but try even, to. But even it. those decisions, right? Because down two, right? Down two. They were down one, so lay up and put one. them up one. Um, so now they're up two. So now, now I'm tripping. Who are they playing? I just I had a UCLA. brain fart. UCLA versus UCLA Gonzaga. down two. Bailey shoots a three point shot to go up one. Right. But even that decision, it's like the, the whole concept of what's a good shot and 
puts a bad shot. But his shot was, was traditional. It was right at the line. It came around. It was. It was. It was but, you know, it was It was also you're down two. You don't need a three. You don't need a three. Yeah. Right? But in today's game, that's considered a good shot. Yeah. You know, it's just amazing to me, man. But um, uh, great, 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 great. Taking a three when you're down one is a lot crazier than taking a three when you're down two. <laughs> you know? Fair. Fair, fair. Um, Especially from days, the logo. These days. But <laughs> seven seconds left. But whatever. They yeah. won the game. We are a results-driven society. It worked, yeah. so it was a good They call. won. They won. Well, um, great game. I mean, I I think to the naked eye, it looked it looked ill-advised. It looked haphazard. I mean, look, March Matt, that whole game was chaotic towards the end anyway. So when you look at it, you're just like, oh, my goodness. They're just being ridiculous. They're just doing crazy things. But, like, but there's a couple pieces that – when I look back on it, I actually think it was like really well coached in the way that they executed. One, it's the same play that uh, Villanova beat UNC in 2016, but that game was tied and they did a, they would have went to OT. So the consequences of, and it was at the end of the game. So the consequences or the risk was low, right? right. Basically you right. missed the shot, you're going to OT, but it was the same exact play. But in this scenario, when you first look at it, you're like, why are you leaving so much time on the clock? Why are you taking such a deep shot? But it's similar to, you know, the NBA with the shot clock. They do the plus one, get up a shot before the, you know, within like 30 to 25 seconds left on the clock so Mm -hmm. that you defend and then you can get the ball back for another, you know, game ending shot. So in this situation, take the shot with enough time on the, on the clock. If you miss, try to get the rebound. If you don't get the rebound foul and then you get another attempt to either tie or win the game and a buzzer beater, right? So when you when you start to unravel it, I look at it like that was a really smart coaching decision because they weren't just saying we're going to take one crack at winning this game or losing this game. Mm-hmm. They actually took they, – they set themselves up to potentially take two crack at least two cracks at it. Two to three, yeah. And fortunately – there. You know, they, they practiced that play, so it wasn't as, as chaotic or haphazard as, as it might have seemed. So I thought it was I thought it was brilliant. I mean, it was it was well executed. Even there. if he missed it, you know, he'd be getting he'd be getting ran down, but at the same time, they might have had another shot to to try to tie or, or win the game uh before the buzzer, you know, the time ran out. Very fair. UCLA didn't have any timeouts, so they that takes the seven seconds and makes it shorter than it really could be. Great game, though, man. That you know, because wow. Gonzaga was down thirteen, came back, took the lead. UCLA went on a ten-one run at the end before that final shot. And um, thank you for, to my our, you know, research team. I forgot the name. Strother, Julian Strother is is the guard, their guard who shot the shot to ultimately um, take them into the Elite Eight. Um, because that's where we are on the tournament too. People have now been reclassified. At least we've got the first four of those eight. They've been reclassified. It's one thing to make the Sweet 16. It's another thing to make the Elite Eight. What a great March Madness we've had so far. Um, the story to me that I like the most, Kansas State, who also won yesterday for two reasons. You've got Marquise Noel, who transferred from um, Little Rock, Arkansas. But, you know, this idea of how you are recruited, four-star, five-star. This guy is out of New York City, had basically zero stars. He went to wherever would accept him, has now transferred another nod in the right direction from the transfer portal, two thumbs up, um, 
five in terms of the game, such that five seven normally doesn't have a spot in the game. Um, this kid is on a tear. Fun to watch, exciting, New York style passes. Um, five foot seven Set under the dog. record for the assists in for the NCAA assists. tournament. Yeah, nineteen assists last night. Twenty points, nineteen assists. Um, so in the garden, <laughs> in the garden, he's home oh, in front ankle. of the crowd. It's like it was bad ankle, got hurt early. Uh, just an amazing, 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 amazing effort. And so, in in no time, he went from you know a five foot seven guy, um, fledgling career, trying to find a place to play. Uh, then he finally gets his opportunity, gets a transfer opportunity, and now the whole world knows his name that quickly. The other story with Kansas State is Keontae Johnson, who we all knew his story, but it was a tragic story. Keontae Johnson is the power forward that collapsed on the court when he was playing for the University of Florida. He was considered to be a, a pretty high NBA prospect. And um, before this incident happened, uh, he then was out of basketball for at least a year working on his health had the opportunity to cash in on a $5 million policy, but that would mean he could not play basketball again. He bet on himself, transferred to Kansas State, had 22 points last night, and I don't know if he's still an NBA prospect, but uh, he, his whole story has is, is been reclassed from tragedy to triumph. Just an amazing, amazing, amazing story. So I find myself kind of rooting for Kansas State. The other story, March Madness, and another team that has advanced to the Elite Eight, uh, UConn, one in a blowout, but the other game was FAU, Florida Atlantic University. And here's the part where I take exception to the general idea of what the op-ed was trying to suggest that that, that, that Father Jenkins and uh, Jack Schwarbrick um, uh, authored is there's a school like FAU. I know where FAU is, Florida Atlantic University, right there in Boca. I know them very well, but the whole country didn't know what FAU was. Nobody really knew FAU. You think of Florida colleges, you think of Miami, Florida State, Florida, maybe you'll go down to Central Florida. If you really, really know something, you might go to UCF, but you're not thinking FAU. And now in an instant, because of their run, and we should all appreciate that having only lost three games, that this is not, it's not, shouldn't be a surprise. They're playing well. You know, they look good last night. I mean, they look good. They look like a real team. But that quickly, the entire country knows about FAU. That quickly, they're guaranteeing that they're going to get way more applications. That quickly, they're guaranteeing that the OWL alone, FAU alone, transfer portal, but also just, just, just students. Florida Gulf Coast. Gulf, I can't even say the name anymore. Florida Gulf Coast. Remember that school that had a run a few years ago? Mm -hmm. uh, they had the high flying dunkers. They 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 showed the number of the increase in applications after that that March Madness run. And so FAU being the story now, but it brings me back to the op-ed piece and like, why shouldn't the players also be able to get a slice of that pop? The school will. You. I will guarantee as an elite 18, this school is going to get a lot more donations from its alum. Guarantee. And there are scientific studies proving that this is true. Guarantee that their overall application numbers are going to go up significantly. Guarantee that the quality of applicants are going to go up. Guarantee that they, they, could, they could offer 
less than scholarship money and have just as much demand because they are now a household name on the heels of this March Madness run. And that's the issue I have with the op-ed piece. It's like, you're going to focus on the athlete? Come on, man. The athlete is a part of this capitalistic structure such that they're taking crumbs compared to what other people are making off off of the athletic part of the student athlete experience. You're right. I have conversations with people every day. Uh, my daughter playing volleyball, as I've mentioned before, and people are saying, hey, you know, my daughter doesn't really want to go and play volleyball in school because she wants to go to the school that has the big football, the big basketball, the big this, the big that. And she's, you know, she, does, she her volleyball can't bring her there. But so they're making she's making a decision mm-hmm. to go to this school because she wants that like, that big campus experience or whatever. So people and, and, and I says, no, Rain is a better school today than it was when we went to, when we went to school there. I mean, it wasn't the number one. Probably because we were no longer going to school there. But probably because they, they got yeah they start cleaning up some of that, that roster. Like <laughs> they did whatever, but it's progressively become a better and better school because of the athletics. And people don't want to admit that. And we were in school. There were some people out there who really didn't like that. The development office that you're in there right now, that that phone is ringing the other way. Like right now, you'd be having that, you'd have to mute that phone call if. Uh, you know, Notre Dame would have won a national championship. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like yeah. things things change because of the sports. People build buildings. There's a reason why. If you look at the campus, I saw a picture of overhead view of the campus, and you would have thought the, the stadium was off campus back in the way. There's a reason why all the stuff that gets built up, all the buildings, the DeBartolo building went up when I was in school um, from the, say, the, the 49ers DeBartolo family right by the stadium, right? right. There's a reason why. Uh, the Jordan Science Hall is right across the street from the stadium. People do that stuff. So the academics benefits from the athletics, but then people want to act like it's just not that. Oh, we're giving you this opportunity to to uh, to participate in this great academics that we have that was made possible by you. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, yeah, <laughs> let's, you know, or your predecessors, but you're going to make it possible for the next person, the next person paying it forward. Right, so right. I just, I just digress. Um. We got to get to Lamar Jackson, and this is going to be our last big topic, but we got to get to it because now the NFL is stepping in and sort of warning teams to negotiate with (laughs) – I'll start – I'll say this because uh, Ozzie Newsom basically admitted that the Deshaun Watson contract that the Cleveland Browns and and, and their infinite wisdom decided to offer him and he and his representative decided to accept. Ozzie Newsom sort of admitted that that has now changed the market on quarterbacks. It was the outlier that has now changed the market. And so my argument is that, and here's where the reclass thing, I think that the, the concept that was offered in that Notre Dame op-ed piece that, that you know we're getting it wrong and we're changing the value proposition truth of the matter is, is that 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 there's a reclassification of the athletes being on, on a part of the of, of the discussion they're at the table right they're, they're almost a partner in building up the value of filling the blank with whatever institution whether it be Notre Dame Northwestern Northeastern Nomad the athletes are sort of at the table now because of the bargaining chips that they have the NIL deals transfer portal and that reclassification of them being at the table i think is disrupting 
the old mindset. And, that, and that's why ETP said it'll sound like it's from 30 years ago. But the same thing I would argue is true in this case. If, if at some point you have $100 million of guaranteed money, there's a reclassification of you in this, in the, in this paradigm. $100 million guaranteed, you are, you're almost a partner. And I'd be damned and, and, and dare three players with those type of contracts of, let's call it $100 million guaranteed. Ultimately. I dare three of them to understand how to leverage that, borrow off of it, come together, and, and own their own team. It's a reclassification that seems to be disrupting and disturbing, not just the Lamar, the Lamar Jackson negotiation process, I think it seems to be disrupting how ownership is viewing these players' power. Lamar Jackson is, is yes, this negotiation seems to be crazy. because It's been ongoing for several seasons. He's continued to produce. We know that their offense is structured around basically this one man. We know that their success is dependent upon it. So he seems to have all the leverage, yet we're here. Ozzie Newsom's disclosure of the Deshaun Watson's contract and its role in not only this issue, but other owners contemplating what they're going to do next says a lot. And I think that reclassification of the power that the players have is what ultimately is at the core of this. Uh, ETP, I know, you know, both of you, Big Flow Show, you as well, we've been talking about this and we've all been baffled by the fact that the contract hasn't been done. Like we've been scratching our head forever, and it seems just time, value, and money. There's so many business reasons why they should have done it already. Right? The market could have been free Deshaun Watson. So Ozzie Newsom saying it doesn't absolve them completely, and it doesn't absolve the Lamar Jackson camp at all because they've got a role in this while this, this contract hasn't been signed. But this reclassification and them admitting that that contract is something that they're looking at that's provided a problem for this negotiation, and then the NFL basically trying to step in and, and telling teams who to negotiate with, combine that with these teams 24 hours, less than 24 full hours after um, the non-exclusive franchise tag was put on Lamar Jackson, come out and volunteer that they're not interested. I think that this is a, a disruption of the business and the power in the business that is really at the core of this. What say you guys? I, I mean, I, I think the, the hardest part of all of this is there just needs to be some level of public explanation on one side or the other. Like there's all this sourcing and reporting around what the negotiations have been. And then especially on the Lamar Jackson side, there's like, oh, well, sources are saying, you know, this unlicensed representative is negotiating and then he tweets that that's not true and then something else comes out about what the you know what the contract offer was and then he tweets out that it's not true the the ravens organization they just said something around the along the lines that deshaun watson's contract created some challenges around the negotiation which started long before deshaun watson the deshaun watson's contract it, at this point, it's just for me as somebody that just like hopes that he they figure it out. I'm just like, well, we don't really know what's going on. And it would be to somebody's benefit, either Lamar Jackson or the Ravens organization or both to just say, look, this is what happened. This is where we are. This is the limitation. 
and that's in and that's the stalemate but there's just like no direct explanation of what's happening so there's all this speculation of oh he needs an agent because there's no experience on his side and he's not being you know best represented and then on the on the team side it's like well another, another example of reclassification because lamar basically is telling you that i don't need someone that you have uh, deemed worthy to negotiate on my behalf i don't need that person to negotiate on my behalf because i know my value another example of how this reclassification is disturbing the whole thing um, I interject apologies, but I digress. Go ahead. No, I mean, that's a that's that's kind of underscoring the point because, you know, we've talked about whether it's collusive or not. And I mean, all the media is speculating on collusion and all of this. But, you know, the reality is, love it or leave it, if you have to be certified and approved by an entity in order to be able to negotiate a contract for an outside party, where's the like there's obviously a potential for collusion there right like if the idea is it's not outside the realm of possibility what i guess what i'm saying is it's not outside the realm of possibility that on the agent side there's some influence to be like don't negotiate with him because he doesn't have an agent and whatever the cooperation is in regards to the league in the agency organization or whatever you know whatever however that plays out you know a lot better than i do but yeah. there's C- just certified no through the, support. Cert- certified through the Players Association, but there's a very thin line between NFL front office, NFL PA, which is the Players Association when it comes to these type of things, right? When it comes to these respective teams and their relationship with the agent that has been certified by the Players Association, you better believe that there are some calls being made and you better believe there's some discussions being had on golf courses that, um, they're putting up warning signs because it's almost to a point where the agent becomes extinct, right? If if I can move without you, you know, for the longest I've been saying that. Right. But for the best contract, if I can get the best contract that's available in the history of the game without somebody that's certified and approved to negotiate that contract, it raises the question of the like you said is does it move to obsolescence does it question the credibility and the viability of an entire profession so there's multiple forces that i guess what i'm saying is that that part of the game is not being and i mean game the business of it is not really being considered as like where what are the forces acting against lamar jackson in this situation but you know what time value and money simply i mean he's already we can't. We'll never know if an agent could have got it done by now. We can, we can't figure it out. We can't go back. Maybe they still be too far apart. It's not like agents, people with agents, never hold out and never not come to a contract deal. But the fact that he's not under the contract right now, that three percent money that he saved is already lost easily. Right. 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 He's already lost that three percent. So he I think he should have pay three anyway. Tenfold. Lamar yeah. Jackson. If anybody's listening that knows Lamar got his phone number, I'll do it for 0.05%, my brother. Just call your boy. Three percent he would have he already came in where he wouldn't have had to pay three percent. So this is more about principles than anything. Yeah. The principalities get a lot of people shot. Yeah, it's a A lot of a lot of men of principles in heaven looking down on us. I would even go even further. I'm saying for 0.05, because I got miles to feed and more a mortgage to pay, but there are agents that would do it. I for do it free. for the pub. I do it for, for the street. Yeah, they do it for yeah. free. So the right. money isn't why he's doing this. 
it money why are you doing it on uh, the question album miller is it three percent that is um the standard amount that's the max that you can get on the contract but it's negotiable that's three percent is the max most agents contract advisors they call work in a situation like this a, a freaking legacy building contract they would work to negotiate below that three percent and some would do it for free some would do it for free so it, it's not that it's principle so what's the so so what's the what's the limiting factor at this point? Is it is it ego? Is it like what is it? I, I, I did I don't I again I think from the 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 league side because I don't, I'm not I'm saying the league I'm not saying just Baltimore. Baltimore was at this by themselves for a while. Now I think Baltimore is a representative for the league for these owners and for them understanding that there's a reclassification of the power structure that we start giving players which we have never done. That we particular we pick a particular position, a quarterback position, and now we're going to say that these players are getting de facto guaranteed contracts because of the numbers. There's a reclassification of the power structure, and so I would say for them that that's their end game is let's not let this happen or we might lose control. For the Lamar camp, for the life of me, I have no damn idea what's going on. But now I think. The, the principle and the ego component from the Lamar camp is, man, I'm not here balling. Y'all ain't paid me. Y'all been telling me to wait. You've been, I just seen all these other people get paid. I saw a guy who was arguably doing, you know, salacious things. Not arguably. Yeah, arguably. He was never found guilty in court of law, allegedly. Uh, although he's, he settled all of these lawsuits and this man got paid. So um, I don't know where the tug of war ends. But I do think it's based on this idea of the reclassification of the power structure in football. If indeed Lamar gets what Lamar deserves. And so Lamar is being penalized for something he has nothing to do with. And potentially not being rewarded for all the stuff he does have something to do with. The MVP type play. The offense centered around him. The success. He's the only loser though. That's the problem is he's the only loser in this. Maybe. Maybe maybe another team steps up. But that team would then be. You know, it's the house of cards. If they stepped up and paid him what he deserves, they have signed on to the reclassification of the power structure in the league because well, now Lamar yeah. has shown that you can do it. Yeah, but I don't. I mean, I I think the the issue is is beyond like it's you're signing up and you're locking up all this money because I I mean I can't imagine like okay you're not gonna get two hundred thirty million guarantee but one fifty one seventy five. But if you're if you're another team, you're locking up that money, and you're giving up first round draft picks, right? So no matter what, Baltimore is always in the position to do it. And I think it's just a matter of, I mean, it just sounds like it's weird that they invested all that they invested in infrastructure wise with the with the way they designed the entire team. Yep. And now they can't, you know, and then they lost their offensive coordinator. They can't come to an agreement. I, I just don't, at this point, it just doesn't even make sense for, for me, like for him to go back and play for the team. Like, I don't know, like, how do you, how do you continue and, and on sources, in a relationship again, in that sense? Again, their sources, sources, but they are sources saying that he's decided he'll never play for them again. Um, stink I don't, because, I don't think he should ever play for him again. I, I agree with that. At this point, you don't think it's, yeah, it's done. It's burnt. Never again. No. The fact that they didn't give him the real franchise tag that's restricted, and they put they they basically 
non-exclusive. The non-exclusive. Yeah. yeah, they put the one out there where where they're trying to just put, pimp him out there, and they saved like what twelve million dollars by doing it this way, because you know even though E and I had a uh, we had two lengthy conversations that he's won. I'm gonna go ahead and admit that on TV, but we had a lengthy <laughs> conversation back and forth. I didn't really think about the fact that like I was like, why wouldn't you give up two draft picks for Lamar Jackson and but you? But the Bears. You know, got a trade where they got four draft picks and a receiver for, uh, but but I, I wasn't factoring in the fact that you go for one year and he could be gone the next. So you got to, you're in the same boat as you are. So why would you take that risk? But they put him in that situation. I, it, I just feel like it's so disrespectful because they just said, look, did you ain't, you think you're worth it? Sorry, right, see what you can get. And now he's not getting it. Never would I play for them again. I'm sick because he has up to the 10th week that he, that he can just sit out and then decide that he wants to take the. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't. I, I've stopped following it. It's become a soap opera uh, in the sense that I'm not even certain it's about the negotiation at this point. It's about something more and, and that, that whole concept. That's why I put it in this this particular edition of Ball Sports Talk because I do think it's a reclass of, of, of power. And there are owners that are trying to hold on to that for dear life. For dear life. Um, so some tells me we'll have ample opportunity to continue discussing this Lamar Jackson negotiation. <laughs> it ain't going nowhere. It's, it's, It'll just be interesting to see who, what, what Baltimore does in the draft. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that that's going to tell us a lot. That'll tell us a lot. Um, for those of you who don't know, you are tuned into the Ball Hall Sports Talk, where sports, business, and entertainment collide. Three businessmen getting together to talk sports in an entertaining fashion. Um, the whole crew is in the building today. My man, the Big Flow Show, uh, ETP, and myself, B Brown, we are in the building. Uh, it's been a great show. We're going to go home with this. Every Ball Hog Sports Talk show, not everyone, but this one will have it, um, deserves a deserves a Ball Hog moment where you get the ball in your court and you get to do what you want with it. And I will go with you on HP? Yeah, because I forgot mine. <laughs> I can't remember what mine was. I forgot mine. No, you did. Think about it. Think well, about I got two, so you can take your time. Go ahead, HP. <laughs> I forgot mine. I'm sorry. I'm like, wait, what was mine again? HP, <laughs> go ahead and lead us off, man. The ball's in your court. Uh, I just, you're, I the just... guy, yo, you're the guy not to pass the ball to in that 12 seconds. <laughs> I gave throwing to you. He said, I forgot yeah. to play, Coach. Turnover out of bounds. <laughs> I supposed to shoot that? Was I supposed to shoot that? <laughs> you got the timeout. You go with Chris Weber. I forgot we was out of timeout. Uh, <laughs> ETP, you start us off, man. Um, I mean, since all this talk about March Madness, I just want to take a take a moment and shout that shout out the women's basketball tournament, which is basically just a long-winded way of waiting to see South Carolina win another championship trophy for the March Madness. But just want to make sure that we mention that they've. I think their average margin of victory is like thirty-one points uh, going into the Sweet Sixteen. So it's yeah. pretty much a foregone conclusion. Caitlin Clark with Iowa maybe can give them a shot. We'll see. But just want to know mention that we still in it. Let's go beat Maryland first. One thing, one 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 game at a time. Let's go Indy. But yeah, yeah, they bad man. Them girls, South Carolina's a different breed right now. Yeah, the, they they seem to take take the taking the torch from uh or the baton from UConn as the powerhouse. Yeah, 
Um, and then I think the, the only other thing is we talk about contract negotiations and all that, you know, the world baseball classic. We don't talk a lot about baseball here, but we basically got to see the, the runner up for American League MVP in the regular season of baseball threw the fastest pitch and hit the hardest ball in the World Baseball Classic, Shohei Otani, and struck out his teammate on the Angels in the bottom of the ninth to win for Japan. And he should probably be the first athlete that signs a billion-dollar contract. If you were paying, he would get one. <laughs> Speaking of athletes and billion dollars. Uh-oh, we passed him the ball. He ready man, for the shot. Man, I figured it out. I, I had to go look. It was over. Man. I had stories. He was so excited. Look. He basically like, yo, he, he just took the Hey, man, I don't want to lose it again. Enough <laughs> about that. I remember <laughs> now. I remember now, and I don't want to lose it again. Go ahead. Go. Um, <laughs> I'm going to let you all, finish. All this goat talk that we've been talking about, billion-dollar athletes, but uh, Michael Jordan, where one could argue he's the best player ever, I think he's realizing he is not the best owner ever and selling the uh, – <laughs> Selling this team. Leave it to a LeBron fan to throw one at. That's what you forgot. Did you bring up? Go ahead, man. Throw your shot at. Him. Is that how? I mean, is, yeah, is, that, is he off limits? Is he is he so untouchable that he's off limits even man, in this I think situation? He should be, but you, you keep I'm violating sorry. that rule. Go ahead. Obviously, Go ahead. he's the best owner that ever did it, but he wants to give somebody else a chance because his yeah. team is trash, and you can't even name his starting five ever. Um, I don't know. I think I think I think he's enough is enough. He's been out there. And he uh, his, his team has been trash. His draft picks have been pretty much trash. Um, and they've had no success. And I think he's done it long enough. So I think he's, I think he still wants to own a little piece, but he's ready to back down from it. So how does this affect his legacy to you guys? Uh, they're two different things. The legacy on the basketball court and what he means to the game. The legacy in terms of owning teams. That's, that's, that's a tough business, man. So, yeah, I, I – have to reluctantly agree that he is is admitting he's tapping out that this ain't for me. Yeah. Well, I don't think it affects his legacy otherwise. I, I don't know about his legacy. I mean at the end of the day, the rumor there's a rumor that he's selling his stake or his he's selling the team so that he can get in and try to buy the Washington commanders or at least be part of a group that does it. The irony of this it's funny just because everybody's like oh worst best player ever worst owner in history. But we just saw the sale of a team in Phoenix uh, due to various sexual harassment claims and, you know, nefarious business dealings behind the scenes in terms of unfair treatment. And then also Donald Sterling with the Clippers. um, You know, obviously he hasn't performed well, but or Jordan hasn't performed well as a GM, but I would definitely not say that he's the worst owner in history. And this year, I mean, they were actually seemed like they were on track to start to go somewhere. Obviously, LaMelo Ball dealing with a ton of injuries, but the Miles Bridges, uh, you know, off the off the court issues domestic in terms violence, of his yeah. his domestic violence cases and all that and, and, and essentially ending his career yeah. really hurt them when they were at a point because they made some good decisions. They brought in Terry Rozier. Ironically, they they traded uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander, who was basically in the MVP conversation for parts of this Baller. year. But but I think it's it's unfortunate. But yeah, it's I think it's time to move on. But I've always been of the mind 
whether it's Michael Jordan or anybody, there should be a time limit on ownership based on success. If you don't win a championship in 20 years within whatever league you're in, then you should be forced to sell and give it over to new blood. And that would hopefully help with the diversity issues and all of the things that come with uh, team ownership and, and league representation. But he stays winning though. How much did he buy it for and how much are they proposing the sales? Seven, I think 700, no, what was it? Seven, 175 million he bought it for. And now they're talking about 1.7. I, I mean, so be? even when, hey, even when I lose, I win. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. you, you were promising, man. And that's what you're supposed to do. You know, buy low, sell high. So this might just be an investment decision. Man. Who knows? Um, Those things appreciate bad. Bad. Oh, he's bad. I can't deny that. Um, my ball hog moment is this. And it is a nod, tip of the cap to seven-time Super Bowl champ um, who I know we're supposed to take the word GOAT out, but who's been called the GOAT, Tom Brady, has shown in his investment decisions, like mine, he is now a part owner of the WNBA champions, Las Vegas Aces. Uh, And in the announcement, he talked about how he's always been a big fan of WNBA basketball. So Tom Brady and I have something in common. And he's invested in the WNBA. So shout out to my man, Tom Brady, who I like to hate on. But in this moment, tip of the cap. So that is the show, man. Reclass, right? Uh, we started off talking about some personal things. And and I said this, and I'll say it again. All my friends in life are still friends. Uh, some of my associates are still associates. I'll find out um, one way or another where everyone stands. I just think that the... Uh, idea of reclass and the decision that you have to make as a parent is on you. We also talked about several other reclassifications in terms of the balance and the power when it is sport versus athletics on college campuses, when who should partake in the revenues um, that are representative of the increased value that sports bring. Uh, The reclassification of uh, this idea that uh, NIL is bad, yet NIL does attract people to stay long and potentially get their degree, and the reclassification of the power structure in the NFL. Uh, and in every situation, the reclass requires us to figure out the right way to approach it. Uh, like always, man, we ask you guys humbly, please like, please comment, please share, please tag a friend, please tag a foe, please tag anybody you know, and please subscribe to both the YouTube channel and the podcast. This week's episode, Reclass Right of the Ball Hawk Sports Talk was brought to you by love. All love, man. We love doing it. It's where sports, business, entertainment collide. A few businessmen get together to discuss sports in an entertaining fashion. We do it rough, rugged, and raw. Uh, you had the Big Flow Show. You had ETP. I am your boy, B. Brown, ESQ, a.k.a. the Ball Hawk, a.k.a. the Mouth of the South, a.k.a. Mr. Excessive Celebration, a.k.a. Brazy. Coming to you from the campus of University of Notre Dame. And before I say we is out, before I say that, because it's coming, I want to make sure we do a very quick but meaningful moment of silence. Um, the NBA world lost Willis Reed, the infamous New York Knicks that came out and played on a hurt leg, and the crowd went crazy. Um, let's make sure that uh, we, I think he's 80 years old and, and not a negative word spoken about him. His impact on the game. So quick, 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 but meaningful bonus silence for Willis Reed. We thank you and continue your support. Please like, comment.
comment, share, tag a friend, tag a foe. Tag anybody you know. Please subscribe. Won't cost you nothing, but you'll be helping us out tremendously. And with that, going back to campus, y'all. Frank the Tank. Excessive celebration never graduates. I'm going to have me a good day, good night. Get to speak to some students and have a good time being here at the motherland of University of Notre Dame.